instead of having to take pills for the rest of your life, not feeling well, not being who you can be. I know that sounds hokey because it's an old ad, but really every person should be able to live their lives fully and enjoy what they make of their life. And this is preventing them, but it can be taken care of and done away with. What's up, lovely ladies? Dr. Emily Kybert here with Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am a chiropractor, a mama to Elvis in Brooklyn, and I have Hashimoto's, but it's currently in remission. On this podcast, I share simple, actionable steps with a little bit of tough love on how to lose that stubborn weight, get your energy and your life back, and finally learn how to work out without burning out, living with Hashimoto's. Dr. Andrew Campbell was educated in Switzerland, where he graduated from preparatory school at age 14 and first in his class. He then completed college in three years. After graduating from medical school, Dr. Campbell trained at the Orlando Regional Medical Center and at the Medical College of Georgia. He was medical director of the Medical Center for Immune and Toxic Disorders in Houston for more than 20 years. Dr. Campbell has published over 100 studies in peer-reviewed medical journals and chapters in medical textbooks. Dr. Campbell has received awards from many organizations, national and international. He lectures regularly at national and international medical conferences. He has lectured at medical schools, including Harvard Medical School and Oxford University in England. He is currently the editor-in-chief of two peer-reviewed medical journals, editor of five medical journals, and Dr. Campbell is a medical advisor for My Michael Lab, a laboratory dedicated to serum antibody testing to mycotoxins. I hope you enjoy this episode. I really loved how deep we went in terms of case studies and transformations of patients and just how many thousands of patients he's helped over the years. Dr. Andrew Campbell, welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. It is so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I've done a lot of research and I probably have watched more of your interviews than any other guest that I've had on. And I'd love to start. So everyone who listens to the podcast has Hashimoto's or a thyroid condition. And a lot of them don't know that exposure to mold and mycotoxins mimic symptoms of Hashimoto's. And I'd love for you to just start with what is the difference between mold and mycotoxins? Because I think a lot of us have heard mold, but mycotoxin might be a new verbiage and a new word that women have never heard of. Molds are everywhere. Mold spores. They're all over the planet. Uh, there's recently, they found it in the space station, even up there. You know, when you go to the store and you buy a packet of seeds because you want to plant something and then you get a pot and you put uh, some soil in it and then water the seeds. And after a while you get something growing same way molds are the spores are everywhere, but it's not until they're wet for 24 hours or more that they start to sporulate, which means grow. So wet means not moist, not humid, but actually water damaged. And so this point about molds and microtoxins is that mold spores carry microtoxins with them. It's kind of like mold a gun and the mycotoxins are the bullet. 
Mm. Yeah. Why does that happen? And how did this happen? For example, many years ago, Dr. Alexander Fleming in Scotland was a doctor. He had two dishes in his laboratory. One had Staphylococcus aureus, a very nasty bacteria that causes diseases. And the other plate had penicillium notatum on it. He left for vacation, forgot to cover them. When he came back from vacation, the Brits call it holiday, not vacation. And he noticed that, my goodness, the Staphylococcus aureus was dead. So something had killed it. Six, seven years of experimentation, we finally got the first antibiotic called penicillin from penicillium. So why do spores carry mycotoxins is to make sure that no other organism competes for that food it wants. Mm. Survival of the fittest. Right. Now, the difference is your hair is a hundred microns thick, everybody's hair, about 100 microns. Mold spores are two to four microns. So they can go to the deepest parts of the sinuses from breathing and into your lungs and then go right into blood and into the brain. Mycotoxins are 0.1 microns, meaning they're the size of a virus, just like COVID and any of the other viruses. So they're very small. They are the ones that cause problems. So the difference between one, mold spores are living things. They have cell walls, they're alive, etc. Mycotoxins are toxins. They're not alive. Mercury, they're a group of molecules, etc., etc. So all those things are basically one is alive and the other is a toxin. And because it's a toxin, it's very dangerous. Got it. So how does someone get exposed because a lot of women don't know, how do they get exposed to a mycotoxin? Anytime you're exposed to mold, you're exposed to mycotoxins. Every mold makes not only one mycotoxin, it makes several mycotoxins. So if you are exposed to, for just as an example, to Stachybotrys, which is the black, famous black mold, Stachybotrys makes several mycotoxins. There's many, many mycotoxins, but there's only about a dozen or so that affect humans. Others affect agriculture, animals, ants, insects, etc. But there's only about a dozen that affect humans. Yeah. So for the women who have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, who are just thinking, oh, it's genetic. I'm just supposed to take this medication. There's nothing I can do because a lot of them, that's what they've been told. I think it's important to know that if they've been exposed to mold, which is very likely because there's a lot of water damaged buildings in the world that maybe mycotoxin exposure is a trigger or contributing to their autoimmune condition. Correct. And if you look at what's happening with global warming, the climate floods killing 11, more than 1300 people now in Pakistan, the issue of this new hurricane destroying all kinds of things in Puerto Rico last year, floods all over Germany that they hadn't had in hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, there's been a lot of climate change and that climate change promotes more rain, more flooding, et cetera, of what public buildings, homes, schools, et cetera. And so we're getting more and more exposed to mold growth because of the wetness and the water damage affecting us. And water damage is worldwide. It's not only in certain places. It's worldwide. Yeah. And that water damage makes mold. And then from the mold, we get the mycotoxins. And all these people with these disorders, the World Health Organization calls mycotoxins 
the great masquerader of this century, because people get, they think they have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, thyroid issues, etc. But the real cause are mycotoxins. Do you think someone can live in a water damaged building or space and still do certain things and feel okay? Maybe they're not fully healed. Maybe they're not removing the mycotoxins fully from their body. Because I have a lot of women, they're like, I don't have money to remediate. I can't move at this time, just my situation. And it's like, what do you tell that person? That is the most difficult part of what I have to do as a medical doctor. And that is the first rule of toxicology is get the patient away from the toxin or the toxin away from the patient. How do you tell a person who may not have the economic or situational possibilities You've got to leave where you are. And I've had to say this to people all over this country and many other countries. And what do you do? Say I'm a person and I have, I work at a, somewhere and, and my wife has to work and we have two kids or three kids or whatever, and we're making ends meet. What do you mean move? What do you mean throw out all the towels and sheets and blankets and pillows and buy new ones because they're all infested. How do you do that? Some studies even are saying now, this is a public health problem and governments need to get involved and help people. Mm. So how do you do it? Very, very, very difficult situation. Yeah. So you've had some patients, I'm sure many, many patients that have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition and you address the mycotoxin exposure, and they get better. Correct. Can you share maybe a patient case? Sure. I'm approaching almost 15,000 patients that I've treated for autoimmune disorders and mold and mycotoxins. So molds cause an infection, which is easy to take care of because there's medication for that, prescription medication. Mycotoxins, just like mercury or glyphosate, Roundup, or any of those things, there's no medication. You have to go through a certain process to get rid of it. And so certain patients, typical mother, 36 years old, married with three boys. So she's busy, 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 and she has a job and she's tired. She's fatigued. She doesn't sleep well. She has to read every paragraph twice to understand it. She has little bouts here and there of anxiety and a little depression. She also tells me that she has these horrible mood swings. And she discussed it with her husband that if you think it could be mold, he says, no way, which a lot of women tell me and she comes to see me. I palpate the thyroid. It's slightly enlarged and you palpate the thyroid from behind. You don't go like this. You go behind the person and do this to do a good job, to do it correctly. And then I ask, you know, your symptoms are symptoms of thyroid problems. Oh yeah, I went to see my regular doctor and he did these thyroid function tests on me. And he told me that uh, in the first time that it was not abnormal enough. And then several months later, I went back to him. Again, I was feeling the same things and it kept on, kept on. He gave me a Synthroid, which is L4, level thyroxine. And I thought I'd felt a little better, but it didn't quite do it very much. I felt maybe 10 or 20% better. The rest, 80% still remain. So I heard that you do stuff about molds and do you think I have molds? I said, well, do you have leak in your house anywhere? And if you really think about it today, we have a lot more places where we could have leaks. A long time ago, there was one bathroom in a house. Now there's several bathrooms, half bath, 
washer and dryers in the house. There's a, the refrigerator spits out ice and iced water and you have a dishwasher and all these things, all these things can possibly leak. So yeah, she found the leak. First of all, she found that her basement had mold. The other thing, her roof had leaked. And the third one is her husband found a leak in one of the pipes in one of the bathrooms. And so he decided to fix that himself. Make a long story short, that was how she presented. I checked her for mycotoxins. It's a blood test. The urine test only gives you what you ate that day. It's an excretion. And remember, the mycotoxins are 0.1 microns, the same size as a virus. You don't test a virus in urine, you test it by blood tests. So if you want Epstein-Barr virus or any other kind of virus, you do an antibody blood test. So the same thing for mycotoxins. You do an antibody blood test, she lit up like a Christmas tree. I told her that if her husband comes out, which he had very hesitant to do, I would see him for nothing, but he had to let me draw some blood. He acquiesced, he came in, had his blood drawn. He too had. And then when I was talking to him, not his wife, so let me ask you something as a doctor. Do you have this? Do you, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Yes, 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 yes. So obviously he was trying to mask his symptoms, but he too had symptoms. Men typically do not like to talk about their symptoms, no matter what age, even mine. <laughs> and so I treated them both. How did I treat them? First of all, I told the woman, let me check your thyroid with an antibody test. Sure enough, she had an autoimmune thyroiditis. Well, we know, and we've known this for about 25, 30 years, that mycotoxins cause an autoimmune reaction. Okay. So autoimmune diseases such as Hashimoto's thyroiditis, such as MS, multiple sclerosis, and this lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. It's a reaction. It's not a disease. That's the big difference. The disease you treat with the usual medications that are used, cortisone and those kind of medications and for thyroid, et cetera. A reaction means if you take away what's causing the reaction, the reaction goes away. So in this case, I told the woman to continue taking her Synthroid and start treating her mycotoxins. And I'll get into treatment later if you'd like, but I treated the mycotoxins and after one month, I took her off the Synthroid. She felt much better, she felt much, much better. And after six months, we checked for thyroid antibodies. They were gone. Did she move out of her space? Did she change her space? That's the key question. Mm -hmm. Yes. She moved in with her mother and dad for the rest of the time, because with a mold inspector came. And although it's not regulated, some mold inspectors are good and others are not so good. And there's a whole set of problems with them. This one said, you've got mold and you've got it in several areas. So that's when, because it was starting to affect the three boys, she decided, okay, it's okay to deal with me and my husband. We're adults, but not the children. I'm moving to moms. You can come with me or not. And they all went to mom because mom didn't live that far away. She lived maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes away. So they all moved. Mom and dad stayed on the one floor and the, the rest of them stayed in two bedrooms upstairs. It was difficult. It was a challenge. But during this time, they were fixing the leaks and remediating the house. 
and then they moved back in. Uh, this was a year ago. I last heard uh, from her in uh, July. Uh, she just sent me a little email telling me how great she feels and, and how the boys are doing and how her husband's doing. Just because I get those emails, I get emails from patients from 20 to 25 years ago still. And it was so nice to hear from her, but she's fine now. What was the thing? One, she removed the cause. She got away from what was causing it. Second, she was treated for mycotoxins. And third, she followed the directions. Yeah. Can we talk about the testing? Because I think people have heard of the urine mycotoxin test. Obviously, you mentioned that doing it through blood work, through a serum draw, is the gold standard. The gold standard. And it's been that way. This test for mycotoxins in blood has been around for 25 years. It's not a new test. And what it does, it's very precise. It's very accurate. So what it tells is how much of each of 12 microtoxins do you have in your body currently? That's what you want to know. What is my body dealing with? And on the other side, let me give you, for instance, of a study, because I'm very evidence-based. If you tell me you had Uncle Ralph who lost all his hair, and then he rubbed walnut oil all over his scalp for a month, and his hair grew back, very happy for Uncle Ralph, but that does not say that that's evidence. You can't go out and tell everybody to do that. So evidence-based medicine shows that last year in July, Dr. Fry and his group published a study showing that 91% of all milk that you drink from cows, cow's milk, that you get at the supermarket, 91% contains microtoxins. Well, does that mean we can't have cereal or milk products or yogurt or whatever cream or ice cream or whatever. No. Why? Because it's below what is called TDI, tolerable daily intake. And that's regulated very strictly by the FDA, the EFSA, which is the European Food and Safety Authority, United Nations committees, and the committees in the World Health Organization. How much of this is allowed in food? It's very little. It's parts per billion. I'm a visual. I don't know what a part per billion means. So I asked a physicist to explain to me what, what is a part per billion? How do I visualize that? He says, take a hundred football fields, cover them with golf balls, remove one golf ball. That's a part per billion. Wow. That made sense to me. Well, the government regulates that peanuts. Have, I love peanuts. Peanuts have mycotoxins, coffee beans. Et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of foods, but these are regulated and they're so little that it's parts per billion and our body just excretes that right away. It excretes that in urine. So what you're testing for in urine is what your body's getting rid of. So if you did a urine test Monday, yesterday, and you did another test Monday next week or Monday, the third week, you'd have three different results in blood. It's an antibody test. It's very precise. How do you test for hepatitis A, B, and C? You test by an antibody test. How do you test for Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus, all the viruses, all of the things that are very small, like a microtoxin, you test through an antibody test because it's very precise. It's used in all hospitals. And by the way, the laboratory, my micro lab, M-Y-M-Y-C-O lab, 
because myco means mold in medicine. Mycology is the study. So MYCO. My myco lab is now getting, has three studies going on with mycotoxins, one on autism and two other studies, both from different university, all three are from medical university medical centers, the other two on mast cell activation syndrome. And I'm teaching mast cell activation syndrome at a medical school in the San Francisco area starting in October. And this is for MDs and DOs because it's an accredited medical school. The point is, is that microtoxins cause a lot of issues with autoimmunity. So autoimmune disorders. And the most common one in women is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. The most common one in young people, especially males, is MS, multiple sclerosis. So you can actually cure multiple sclerosis. And this was done in a study at Rutgers University School of Medicine. They said 60% of MS is caused by microtoxins. That's a very high percentage. That is. And Tufts University came out on autism. Tufts University School of Medicine up in Boston, 60% of autism is caused by. And the great thing is about all these autoimmune disorders, including Hashimoto's, have a cure. Instead of having to take pills for the rest of your life, not feeling well, not being who you can be. I know that sounds hokey because it's an old ad, but really every person should be able to live their lives fully and enjoy what they make of their life. And this is preventing them, but it can be taken care of and got done, done away with. So the My Michael Lab, let's say someone gets that draw and they have the antibodies. How do you start to treat that person? First of all, anyone who does that test gets a free Zoom call with me to go over their test results. Mine's sitting on my, my kitchen counter upstairs waiting to get done. <laughs> And so that helps them start to understand the process. Now, what, how do you treat it? There's two parts to this and it's a paradigm. It's not a protocol. Protocol means one size fits all. So if it's a 25 year old female that weighs 110 pounds or a 55 year old female that weighs 180 pounds, the treatment is the same. Well, that's not possible. That doesn't make sense. It has to be tailored to that person. Some people have more this mental fog issue, autoimmune, sleep, migraine, those kind of things. Well, they fit into more of these kind of treatments. What if it's all gut and a lot of gut issues? Well, that fits into this. Okay. So you treat it different, but there's certain things that are established. One is there certain very good and necessary vitamins and nutrients that you've got to take. One example, vitamin D3 is vital for the thyroid for normal thyroid, even if you don't have Hashimoto's. Now, once you have Hashimoto's, even, even more important. So there's these supplements and uh, that and vitamins that you should take. And then on the other side, how do you kill and get rid of the mold spores that carry the microtoxins? You need an antifungal. What is an antifungal? Sporinox, itraconazole. I've used it in almost 15,000 patients, no problems. Everybody gets worried about liver enzymes. I did too when I first started. But after 15,000, not seeing anything happen to the liver, I said, we'll check the liver every couple of months. It's not a problem. The other issue about treatment 
is what these microtoxins cross the blood brain barrier. That's well established in medicine that they affect the first place is the brain. And second, they start producing antibodies, antibodies against myelin, which coats nerves, antibodies against the thyroid antibodies. So how do you get rid of antibodies? Everybody gets on the internet and hears about all these binders. They've been tried in binders in laboratories. They've used sheep, piglets, chickens, rabbits, various other, there's not a single study showing that it works in humans. I'm not going to give somebody, a patient of mine, who's put one of their most precious possessions into my hand, their health, something that has no proof behind it. It's like walnut oil for Uncle Ralph's head. Anecdotes, it, there's no evidence. So I make sure that they take the right things where there is absolute evidence, medical science, evidence that it works, that it does what it's supposed to. Yeah. And then six months later, they're fine. In the tests, the My Michael Lab, how do you know if it's, since it's an antibody reaction, if it's a past exposure from 20 years ago or a current exposure or maybe other than just like taking a subjective history of where it is in the timeline of their life? Sure. So in what we call microbiology, there's four pathogens, bacteria, viruses, parasites, and pathogenic fungi. And let me mention pathogenic fungi. One fungus, aspergillus, is now to infect the thyroid. And the three symptoms are fever, enlarged thyroid. So it's, in some people, it even gets difficult to swallow. And third, huge fatigue. And that's an infection. So these four things infect people. Not only that, but there's medications for them. So if you have a urinary tract infection or bronchitis or a virus or whatever, you can treat those with prescription medications. Let's go over here to another area. It's called toxicology. Toxicology is just molecules. They're not alive. They don't have cell walls. Now in pathogens, the four pathogens, if you were infected, I had, when I was a kid, I'd had chicken pox. Right now, if you test my blood, I have antibodies to chicken pox. And that's from a long time ago. And that's for living things. They leave that footprint in your immune system. So I have IgG antibodies to chickenpox. Over here, toxicology, you only have it when it's inside you and affecting you. For example, if you look at shampoo, which everybody uses on their hair and the scalp is full of pores because we sweat through our scalp, there's every bottle of shampoo has, I don't know, 10 to 20 long words that are chemicals, but we don't get affected by it. They don't make us sick. We don't have antibodies against it. Only when a chemical or a toxin gets into you, mercury, arsenic, pesticides, mycotoxins get into you, that your immune system starts producing immunoglobulin G antibodies, IgG antibodies. So the test means that currently your immune system is fighting these mycotoxins. Now, could it have Say six months ago, for two years, you lived in a moldy apartment, and then six months ago, you moved out. You could be colonized by mold. How do we know that? For example, Dr. Ponikow, chairman of the Department of Ear, Nose, and Surgery at the Mayo Clinic, did a study on uh, 210 patients who suffered from chronic sinus problems. He took 210 of them, all 210, to the operating room, 
removed and cleaned out their sinuses and sent what he found in there to the lab and said, what do you see? 96% was mold. He actually petitioned that the word chronic sinusitis be changed to chronic fungal sinusitis. So we know it lives in your sinuses and people have sinus problems. Where else? It goes into the lungs. And from the lungs, it spreads primarily to the brain. A lot of people talk about it goes to the liver and the gut and all those things. No, there's no evidence. Actually, there are studies that show that the gut microbiome detoxes mycotoxins. So actually destroys it. So all these people who take binders, they're actually doing themselves a disfavor and prolonging the disorder. And I get about five or 10 emails a day that I've been on binders for two, three years and I'm still sick and so on and so forth. If it worked, I would be using it, but there's no evidence. There's nothing. So what you do is your tests show that now there's two parts to the test. One is the IgG antibodies, which means at that time, your immune system is fighting off a toxic reaction. The other is IgE. IgE antibodies to mycotoxins indicate mast cell activation. And so we have these two tests, and that's why university medical centers are using the IgE test for mycotoxins as a marker for mast cell activation syndrome. For people who don't know what mast cell activation syndrome, I know when I was first diagnosed and I was told that, I was like, I have never heard that. Can you share what that is and what some of the symptoms may be? Sure. Mast cells are what regulate your allergies. Say you're allergic to shrimp and unbeknownst to you, you ate part of a shrimp in some canapé or something, and you break out in hives. That's a mast cell. What they do is it releases Heparin, which makes your blood thinner, and it releases histamine, which makes you have hives and itch everywhere, and your throat scratchy and all these things. However, an IgE antibody to mycotoxin makes those mast cells release other things as well. And those other things are what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines. Cytokines or are what regulate the immune system. It's kind of like tells your immune system to slow down or stop or the opposite. It tells your immune system to go fight and fight harder and recruit cells, etc. So skin problems, psychiatric problems, anxiety, depression are very common issues with the gut. A lot of gut problems with uh, mast cell activation syndrome. So those are the most common types of symptoms you get from mast cell activation. And then how does mold exposure lead to that? Because molds carry mycotoxins. Right. And it's the mycotoxins that trigger mast cell activation and create all this inflammation that goes throughout the whole body. And so that's the mechanism. So if you treat the mycotoxins, you get rid of the mast cell activation. Right. And actually... Washington University School of Medicine, Department of Gastroenterology, Dr. Weinstock, Leonard Weinstock, and I have published a study already on this, and we're publishing two more. And how IgE antibodies to mycotoxins trigger mast cell activation, and we have actual pictures of people, scan and various things. It feels very isolating, right? Because there's so many water-damaged buildings, climate change, more flooding. 
you know, just older buildings, more buildings with like flat tops where the water sits and doesn't drain. And I mean, I know this summer I went into a gym, there was water damage. I went into the CVS, there was water damage. It just feels like it's everywhere and it can feel isolating and it can create that fight or flight response like, oh, am I going to get exposed? And obviously there's the treatment aspect, but how can we also strengthen our terrain such that we don't just totally go into brain fog and can't finish our sentence when we are exposed. Interestingly, a lot of my patients who are well, and it takes me about six months to treat someone with mycotoxin issues, they get well and they'll tell me, this is the little emails I get from them. I went to visit my best friend in I don't know where, and within five minutes I had to leave her house because I knew the remote. She didn't know, she didn't see it, she didn't know where, but she started feeling bad. I've heard that about, I've been to certain restaurants and I had to leave within five minutes because I knew there was mold there or shops or wherever. So yes, there's a lot of water damage everywhere. Now, how do you make sure you don't get affected? Once you've been treated, you're over it, you're fine now, you're living your life as you wish. What you do is you keep taking certain supplements, not a lot. Just certain supplements that keep your immune system at best condition. Just like if you want to be your body to be in a great condition, you go to a gym or some place like this and work out. And then your body after some time gets really, you like how you look and that clothes fit better and all those kind of nice things. It's the same with the immune system. You've got to keep it sharp. So if you're going to go, I need it at fast food places three times a week and you're going to have two packs of coca-cola over all you know in that in a, every week and eat poorly and not exercise very much if any and do all those things your immune system is going to slide downward however if you do choose your foods wisely if you do make sure you at least walk daily for 35 minutes, that's not a big walk, and your pets will love it. And if you take certain supplements that strengthen your immune system, then you can walk into a CVS and be there 20 minutes getting things and walk out, and your immune system will flick these off like a nasty fly bothering you. I know you mentioned vitamin D. Are there any other supplements you could share to strengthen the immune system in the way that you're speaking? Vitamin D3, 5,000 units. You don't need more is not always better. Right. So 5,000 is enough. I would also make sure that you take vitamin, a good B-complex vitamin. And I can share with you where I get these things if you so wish. But a good B-complex has been shown that our diets today even if you buy organic and have your own farm, and I don't know what, we're deficient in B vitamins. And whatever the government tells you is the maximum limit, forget. It's like 10 times that. That's an important one, magnesium. Most of us are low in magnesium or marginally low. And magnesium is involved in over 350 different enzymatic actions within the body that without magnesium doesn't work. You can't get anything out of protein if you don't have enough magnesium. That's just one small example. Yeah. So got to take magnesium. And I always recommend that a person take three milligrams of melatonin at bedtime. Now everybody thinks that melatonin is for sleep. 
And yes, it will help you sleep. However, a number of studies done at the University of Texas, San Antonio branch, have shown that it helps detoxify the brain. Because regardless of what you do, you go outside, there's diesel particles in the air from trucks. Your shampoos, things, cleansers, where people use to clean their kitchen, their clothes, their dishes, their bathrooms with, all those are chemical products. And your brain is very sensitive. And melatonin helps get those things not affect your brain. Yeah. Do you have a favorite source or brand for your the magnesium and the B complex? Yes. I don't have any interests of any kind, monetary or otherwise, in these companies. I've got to be upfront with you always. I use Clear Labs with a K for melatonin, vitamin D3. Um, for the B complex, it's called Vita B. And for magnesium, I use a company called Jigsaw Health, and it's called MagSRT. I published an article about 10 years ago or so on magnesium. I have over 100 publications in medical journals and chapters in medical textbooks. But this one, when I wrote it, was very interesting for me because if you take magnesium, it peaks in your blood in two hours, and two hours later, you excrete it. So it lasts a short time. This MAG-SRT, Magnesium Sustained Release, lasts 8 to 10 hours. So you only need one in the morning, one in the evening, which is great. Lastly, very important to have a good, solid microbiome. We are, you and I, are made up of about 35 trillion cells. The microbiome is 135. We have 23,000 genes. The microbiome has 8 million. 80% of our immune system is in our gut. It makes all kinds of neurotransmitters. And for example, if you have a good microbiome, proteins are made with amino acids. Amino acids are like brick and the protein is the house. L-tryptophan is an essential amino acid, meaning we don't make it. We have to get it from outside. Chocolate, meat, eggs. So L-tryptophan then becomes, in a normal good microbiome gut, becomes serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter. That's what the psychiatrists use for depression. And from serotonin, you derive melatonin. So you sleep well. Depressed people don't sleep well and feel off. So if you have a good microbiome, that's essential. And I always recommend my patients take Megasporbiotic, and that's from Microbiome Labs. Do you ever start treatment if someone hasn't moved out of the space that is the source? I don't because it's totally ineffective and I don't want them to waste money. And a lot of people, money is an issue these days. So why have them spend on supplements or medication if it won't have any effect? Because one of the effects of mycotoxins is it dysregulates mitochondria and the cell dies. There's cell death going on all over the body. And until you don't separate yourself from that toxin, no, nothing, no treatment will help. Unfortunately. When someone does the treatment of antifungals, is there any sort of die-off reaction or side effects to the treatment? Yeah. Good old Herxheimer reaction described by two dermatologists in Germany in 1930. So a Herxheimer reaction does occur I've had it occur in about 2% of patients that I see. It usually starts occurring 10 days after they start treatment. 
in the last three or four days. I just tell them to keep going and you'll get over it. So it's very short and it's really important to get on the other side. Why do you think some people have a strong reaction? So for example, the example you gave of someone going to their friend's house in five minutes, they knew they were like brain foggy. Whereas some people don't have that strong immediate reaction in a space when they are exposed. Everybody's immune system is unique and different. Even in monozygotic twins, each one has different reaction. If I took you and put you in a room with 10 other females, the same age, height, and weight as you, and exposed all 10 of you to a substance, I'd get 10 different reactions. Yesterday, I spoke to doctor who had the My Micro Lab test because her office was affected. And she tested herself, her receptionist, the nurses, everybody. And at first she did the urine test and she says, the ones who felt pretty good, their urine test came out with real high mycotoxins. And the ones who felt awful had very low mycotoxins. And so I found out about you and I did your test. It's not my test. I don't own it. I'm just the medical advisor. But anyway, she did the test. And this time I had with her yesterday was to go over the test results. And she said, interestingly, she has two nurses who feel not too bad. They don't feel well, not too fat. And she says her receptionist and her assistant that goes into every room with it feel awful, like just like her. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be some differences. I've treated families, mom, dad, five kids, all under the age of 15. So obviously little Susie whose room was next to that leaky bathroom, felt bad, and her test results were slightly elevated. Little Johnny, the oldest, other end of the house, longest exposure, felt terrible, and he had really bad mycotoxins. So this is two people, same mom and dad. One was close but didn't feel so bad and had some mycotoxins show up in her blood. The other was furthest away. He felt awful and he had a lot more microtoxins. It's called polymorphism. It's called genetic polymorphism. We're all different. So to wind down and wrap up, before we started recording, you were telling me a story about a school where there was water damage. Can you share that story? Sure. This was a school with 50 children and 30 teachers. Obviously, 30 teachers, some of them were part-time, some were administrative, etc. They started all having symptoms and found out that the school was moldy. In the teachers, 30% turned out to have autoimmune diseases. That is extremely high in medicine. In medicine, we look at small, single percentages, even fractions of percentages. 30% autoimmune disorders. The other thing is, once treated and moved away to a different school, they all got better and the autoimmune diseases went away. Of the children, okay, 50, 50 kids. The 50 kids had real issues with learning disabilities, behavior issues, and they all tested positive when they left and were treated. All these learning disabilities and behavioral issues, et cetera, all went away. Part of the treatment, by the way, was vitamin D3. Yeah. Dr. Campbell, thank you so much. I think everyone can learn something from listening to this episode. And I always learn something new from 
listening to your past talks and then our conversation. Thank you so much. I'll attach the My Micro Lab into the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and for treating patients. Everybody's welcome. Anyone wants to talk to me on Zoom, have at it. I'll be happy to help everybody. I'm getting old enough that I can really enjoy teaching more than anything else. Love it. By the way, I teach at two universities. So thank you. You're very welcome. If you enjoyed this episode or even learned just one new piece of information to help you on your Hashimoto's journey, would you do me a huge favor? Rate and review Thyroid Strong Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you used to listen in to this podcast and share what you liked. Maybe you learned something new. And if you didn't like it, well, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Dr. Emily Kybird. I read and respond to every single DM. I truly believe all feedback is good feedback, even the ugly comments. If you're interested in joining the Thyroid Strong course, a home workout program using kettlebells and weights, where I teach you how to work out without the burnout, go to dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. You'll get all the most up-to-date information on when the course launches and goes live, special deals and early access bonuses for myself and my functional medicine doctor friends. Again, dremilykyber.com forward slash TS waitlist. I hope to see you on the inside, ladies.